Welcome to the Gridiron Icon Podcast, where we visit with legends of the game. Touchdown, touchdown. Including players and coaches from the NFL, college football, and beyond. And now, fresh off the end of the bench, Stacy Bauman and NFL legend Preston Denard. All right, welcome everyone back to the Gridiron Icon podcast. We've got a very special guest today, but uh, to start things off, it's been a little while. My good friend Stacy Bauman is back with us. Stacy, welcome, my friend. How are you? I am doing great. Great to see you. Pumped to talk to this guy. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we're all in great shape, at least health-wise, for the moment, (laughs) so we can at least get through this and talk, right? Well, ladies and gentlemen, catch us everywhere you can on social media, from YouTube to Twitter, you name it. We're all over the place, and this is going to be a great one, a great iconic guest we have today. We love the big guys, and we got a big guy with us this week. 6'6", 300 pounds, at least that's what they listen to him when he played. What a wonderful, wonderful offensive lineman from Raider Nation. Plus, he played with a couple other teams. But an All-American and a two-time Morris Trophy winner, three-time NFL Pro Bowler, something I've never seen before, but I think there's a game <laughs> called that, and current analyst for the Raider Nation Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, a guy that does so much and that I've learned so much from and about to learn some more, how about a great round of applause for the great, one and only Lincoln Kennedy. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm humbled. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. Man, I tell you what, we are excited. Stacy and I have been looking forward to this. This is technically, if we wanted to talk about series, this is our second series, and you're the first show. You're the first episode of this second Sweet. series. Oh, you didn't know that, did you, Stacy? I didn't know I did. that. I did not know that. No. <laughs> yep, okay. So we got a good thing. Man. I'm so excited. I want to get started. There's so much stuff I read about you, and and we already know each other. We do things together. We participate in the the ALS golf tournament out here at times, and and uh, we, we we've done some things. We we've we've hung out. We we've talked and business and so on. But Lincoln, you're a star. You're a bigger <laughs> star than me. And I'm not talking size, but. Born in Pennsylvania. I don't know where York is, but York, Pennsylvania. But you grew up in San Diego. So I want you to kick this thing off. Take us back to the beginning. How did Lincoln Kennedy get started, first of all, in athletics? And how did it turn to football? Wow. Um, okay. Um, well, I was I was a Navy brat. My dad was in the Navy. And that's one of the reasons why we got from central Pennsylvania. And by the way, York is close to Harrisburg in central part of Pennsylvania. So if you know where Harrisburg is, you're not far from New York. Anyways, um, <laughs> came out it came out to San Diego at a very young age. Then my parents divorced and stayed with my mother. And so we kind of moved around. And I was never involved with sports as a, as a younger kid. I didn't play any organized sports. One of the reasons why we moved around so much, um, and mom, I just was never in the same elementary or, you know, junior high school for the same, for more than one year. And so in the third grade, my mother gave me a trumpet and said, you're going to do something with your spare time. So I learned music. And that's how I got uh, initiated into music. Um, 
from that point on, it was it was by the time we got to high school, I was pleading with my mother, please let us stay at one place at one time. I had no friends. And other than the band geeks that I were around and various, you know, marching bands and bands that I was performing in, those were those were the extent of my friends. That's that's how it wow. went. So when we finally got to one place in Southeast San Diego and I was able to go sign up for Morse High School, I found a way to stay in there for for all four years. As far as sports goes, I didn't start playing football. I didn't start playing any sport until I was a sophomore in high school. And the way I was discovered was one day after uh, performing with the high school, with the marching band during a, a halftime a varsity game, my head coach saw me on my bike and he asked me what grade I was in. And I said, ninth grade. And he said, you're coming out for football next year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that, that's basically how it started. I got bit by the jock bug. Uh, yeah. I fell in love with sports, um, went from football to basketball to shot putting discus and track and field and just got hit by the jock bug and, and wanted to play every wow. sport that I possibly could. So that's how I got into football. And then when I realized that there was an opportunity for me to go to the next level, as far as a scholarship, my high school coach told me, he said, potentially you can, you can go somewhere and do this. I decided to follow through because I wanted to get out of San Diego as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wanted to get away from that, uh, that, that little gangland atmosphere that was there. And I was hoping for a higher education. And prior to that point, had no idea how I was going to get to college. So I was thankful that a scholarship came knocking on the door. Wow. Okay, let's back up a little bit because, see, that's something I did not know. I got like nine things on there I got that I didn't know. <laughs> Instruments, band, music. Um is that still a great love? And do you still play an instrument? But tell us all the instruments you play. I love music. First of all, Preston, I love music and always have. And um, I, you know, when I was a kid, I had aspirations of being a part of a big band like Earth, Wind and Fire or Chicago or something like that. You know, some of the big bands that required horns. So I was in the horn section. So I played trumpet. I played a little bit of trombone. I played a little bit of baritone. Um, and a little bit of um, a, a little bit of a French horn, but those were just all horn sections. Those were what I was used to. Um, and then when I started playing football, I kind of I, I couldn't be a part of the marching band. I couldn't be a part of the band anymore because we all practice at the same time. So football had to take precedent. And it's one of the, my biggest my greatest regrets is that I didn't stay with it. Like today, I couldn't. I couldn't squeeze my lips tight enough to make a uh, clear sound with my trumpet, but, but, I, but I wish I, I wish I did stay with it, and I'm I'm wow. I'm disappointed that I didn't. Wow, outstanding, man! That's outstanding. Go ahead, Stace. I know you got. I'm trying, I'm trying to picture a six six guy in the yeah. high school marching band. Like, who's that guy? Um, um, but let's move him to tackle. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. So, some something that you experienced really caught caught my attention there. I think people look at San Diego and they think mm. paradise. Yeah. But you had to deal with some rough stuff, even as far south as San Diego and California. I mean, we, we know it in inner, inner city LA, but San Diego. There's an were, inner city San Diego too. I mean, gangs wow. were rampant drive-bys. I mean, it wow. was, it was a hostile environment around my neighborhood In my neighborhood, it was a lot of gang violence, a lot of drug selling going on. So you know, you either got in with that crowd or you found a way to get out of it quickly. But, you know, a lot of people got sucked into it, you know, that lifestyle. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I don't think people yeah. get that idea about San Diego. So you had to deal with that as well. How There's an world... inner city in every city. 
Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that's yeah. True. It's, it's not, it's not like it's, uh, oh, it's, it's all paradise. It may, it can look funny. It can look particular on TV with the beaches and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. there's an inner city in every city. So yeah. th- there's yeah. that, that atmosphere there, whether people wanted to see it or not. Well, as a bigger dude, you're kind of a, you kind of stick out, right? Yes. So that's they true. want to, they want to bring those bigger dudes into the fold and yeah. I get that. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so you got to we got to talk about basketball. All the time on the show, we talk to athletes, Preston included, that started off with a love for another sport. You played hoops, and and you're a big guy. Where you play center, and and was basketball something you thought about pursuing in college? Or yes, I mean basketball was actually my first love. I mean, I actually oh, grew up good. playing that in the, the streets on the courts and stuff like that. That you know, but at the same time. When I got to high school, they tried to tell me I couldn't eat as much as I wanted to. And I was like, that's some bull. <laughs> so so <I> like <laughs> basketball is not going to work for me if I if I can't eat. Because I, I back to that time, I just like cheeseburgers too much. So, yeah, I was playing I was playing either four or five. But, um, you know, the thing was, is, is, is you had to maintain that weight. and I couldn't do it. So when the jersey got too small, I got out of there. Oh, oh, real. Wow. I, I got to ask a question because I got. I, I yeah. mean, I was I was a wannabe high school player, but basketball, football. Did basketball was that tougher on your body than football? No, actually, it helped me out a lot. Basketball helped me with my footwork. Really? So I played a lot of mm-hmm. basketball in the off season, and rather than running hills or running around the track, I played basketball, and that was my love to keep mm-hmm. myself in shape. So between that and racquetball, are things that I did in qu- tight quarters that make me work on my hand eye coordination, as well as my footwork. Um, and that's one of the things that I, that I did in the offseason for some of that's, that's a hidden secret because a lot of big mm-hmm. guys don't do that type of workout always. It's right. always more strength. But for, for, for lateral movement, quickness of feet, hand-eye coordination, all that you just mentioned, ideal, man. No wonder you rose and, and, and really developed as a football player. But uh, tell us about high school then. So you started playing, uh, you started realizing some success going through high school uh, immediately, or did it have to grow on you? How'd that go? No, no it had to grow on me, Preston, because my first year of playing football was completely clumsy mm-hmm. uh, and, and unorganized in, in the way my footwork and everything that went. But the, the thing was, is that after we found enough equipment, because I had big feet, so I, had to get, <laughs> I think we had to get our, our, my shoes from the Chargers and my helmet from one of the local colleges wow. or vice versa, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was playing in tennis shoes and didn't have a helmet for the first couple of weeks of the season. Wow. So just going through practice and stuff like that. But now I was, uh, I was extremely awkward when I first started playing sports because it just didn't have that athletic, you know, t- togetherness, if you will. But then my high school coach, who was my biggest mentor, John Shacklett, he was the one who started working with me after school and he started working with me after practice. And he kept using that big word, potential, you know, that P word that everyone, (laughs) he's got potential and you got potential. Uh And then after, I think it was after, I want to say, I started playing football in sophomore. I was, I played JV in sophomore year, junior varsity. I mean, um, um, varsity, my junior year Mm -hmm. started playing. And then that's when I started getting questionnaires and the letters from the colleges and started getting inquiries. And talking with my mentor, my high school coach, because I had never been through it, never knew anything about it. Right. He had went through it. Um, he was a, he had he had played a little bit of time for the Steelers, so he went through the whole college thing and and getting into the pros. And he really schooled me or hit me to all the information I needed in order to just get through this recruiting process. And you know how they make you think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, that their program can't <laughs> go on without you. 
they need you and all that stuff. You mean you didn't believe that? (laughs) No, I didn't believe that. I didn't play into it. But but the whole recruiting process was was interesting. It was was cool traveling around, seeing different places. Um, I had no idea how fatiguing it was going to be because I did all my trips weekend after weekend after weekend on top of school. So it was extremely tiring. And um, I didn't even make it through all five trips. By By the time I got to my fourth one, I was through Wow. wow. Okay. Fourth one. And we know who the fourth yeah. one was, apparently. Yeah. Who who recruited you? I mean, being a West Coast guy. I was recruited by well over 110 universities. Oh, I think God. somewhere on there. Yeah. I mean, across the country. So wow. what I tried to do is I tried to go for one programs that I felt that I was kind of familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and two, just kind of get what I initially decided my five trips were going to be scattered out around the country. Yeah. I had Michigan, Washington, SC, Syracuse, and Miami with an unofficial wow. visit to Colorado and an unofficial visit to UCLA. Wow. Um, because those those schools were kind of in my backyard, so it was easy for me to get to them without having to charge them a scholar, I mean, a, an official trip. So wow. um, I did, I, I went to, I ended up going to Michigan. Uh, Washington, SC, and then I had one of my trips were to Colorado, unofficial visits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't make the one to Syracuse or Miami because I had already made up my mind by that time. But I just wanted to see or wanted an opportunity to see different parts of the country to figure out where I was going to you know, feel at home at. So that was it. Wow. Stacy, I want to ask the question. How did the Huskies land you? Out of all those different trips. So what ended up happening is my first trip was to Michigan. And at the time I saw Bo Schambeckler hooked up to a bunch of uh, wires. He was in the hospital. He had just went had one of his, you know, bypass oh, surgeries, but there was a gritty old man. Like you want to be a Wolverine? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Wow. <laughs> um, and so, you know, growing up in San Diego, I had always seen like on CBS, uh, Michigan players come out and hit the big blue sign. You saw it on TV and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a Wolverine. I want to be a Wolverine. <laughs> my high school coach made me promise never to co- never to commit on a trip. Always yeah. come back, let everything digest. Then we'll, you know, we'll talk it over and figure it out. So I was all excited getting off of getting out of Ann Arbor. I remember it specifically because it was 17 degrees when I landed in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who's come from San Diego. I, I didn't have anything more than a windbreaker. So they had to get me a jacket while I was there the weekend. Just, and it was funny because the jacket I got barely fit my uh, sleeves, like came like halfway yeah. up my sleeves. So. Right, right. Anyways. Um, but no, I, I fell in love with Michigan. I went back home and told my high school coach I want to go to Michigan. And he was like, you know, pump your brakes. This is your first yeah. trip. They're supposed to make you feel like that and wait till you take some other trips. You know, we'll go from there. So went following weekend i went to sc then a weekend after that i went to washington and then the weekend after that i went to had an unofficial visit to colorado had one scheduled to ucla but i just kind of turned my nose up to it because i knew it wouldn't be a right fit for me mm-hmm. but to answer your question how uh, washington got me so i was gung-ho ready to go to michigan all of a sudden um oh let me backtrack a little bit one of the ways that i wanted to narrow down the schools that recruited me was I wanted them to give me a chance to play defensive tackle, defensive end. Yeah. I played that in high school. Of course, all the glory came from defenders, you know, getting sacks and tackles and stuff like that. So, you know, I wanted to get my name in the paper more so than 
you know, just this running back rush for over 100 yards. And yeah, his <laughs> offensive line did okay, that type of stuff, you know. So anyways, I had asked the schools that I narrowed it down to recruit me as a defender. And then it came out that um, my high school coach told me that Michigan came back and was asking for offensive film on me. And so, I, you know, I was a little confused at the point, and I asked him, you know, what's up with that? And he's like, look, once they get you, they, they can do what they want with you. It's just that, you know, it's like that. It's a lot different back then than it was now. Preston, you know that. Right, right. So right. once you're there, you're there. So I was a little perturbed by it. I was like, dude, they're not going to be people of their word. You know, I don't want to go with them anymore. But, but And also by that point, I had already been up to Washington, and I'm a big water baby, so it was okay. beautiful that weekend. I could see yep. Mount Rainier from the campus, uh-huh. all the water, all the green. I mean, it just I just fell in love with the Emerald City. And plus, with Seattle being right there, it's right. really, you know, there's not a lot that you have to ask for. It'd be, it could be wanting. So um, that's when I decided to go to, to Washington because UCLA, I mean, not UCLA, um, USC didn't interest me. Um, I think I, I really didn't really get into pomp and circumstances and all that stuff that was surrounding, surrounding it. Growing up in San Diego was much like what I was used to. I'm like, I'm used to this. This is this is the same old, same old for me. And um, Colorado, I was afraid that they were doing some 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 shady shit back in the day. So I, I mm-hmm. thought that they might get in trouble, and I didn't want to be on investigation or be in trouble when I went to the school. So um, there was there was there was that going on. Interesting. I mean, I, yeah. as a guy yeah. who lives in the Pacific Northwest now, uh, I. I have to admit, and I watched your whole career. I was thinking, how in the world does a kid from San Diego end up in Seattle, where it's raining all the time? They must have yeah. recruited you on the perfect weekend. <laughs> they had the per- I, I say that the perfect weekend. They recruited me, and then once I committed, the sun went in for four and a half years. So, <laughs> oh, so mm. true. But that that whole recruiting process. I mean, you mentioned it. You alluded to it. It's changed so much. You feel like what you went through, and you look at these athletes today. They they're cutting money deals and all that. They're they're in the transfer portal if they have a bad day. And has this given you kind of rare insight? You you have kids who play sports and whatnot. You feel like you're really well prepared for that process as a father, as opposed to being a player, a young guy. No, I actually I feel Stacy. In all, all seriousness, I feel kind of conflicted because ah, I'm the yeah. type of person who believes that a man is of his word. Okay, so if if like I told my kids all growing up when they wanted to try something, I don't care if you don't like it or you never want to do it again. We we put ourselves in something. We're committed to see it through to the end. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't like it at the end, you don't want to play it again. So forth, or you don't want to take it again. So be it. But we don't we, we're not we're not the type of people. And I've never te- taught my kids had to be the type of people that, you know, put their foot in somewhere and say, OK, I want to do it. Oh, you know what? I don't like it. I'm not going to do it anymore. We're not about that. So in this day and age with the transfer portal and things are, you know, it saddens me because, you know, you, you see kids who make a commitment to go to Arizona State. All of a sudden, they don't like the situation there, you know, or they're not playing or they're not starting and they enter the transfer portal and they're jumping around, you know. Yeah. Then you end up, you know, in essence, you end up having um, a 27-year-old quarterback win the national championship, yeah. playing, you know, playing another 26-year-old quarterback. I mean, this is what you see in college football or college sports. And it, it just, it saddens me because where's the commitment? Where's the level of commitment? You know, I, I get it, you know, that as a, after you graduate, if you want to go to another school because you used up your eligibility, I can understand that. But COVID has really set a lot of things 
um, different than we could expect. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to say how I, in all honesty, how I feel about today's sort of recruiting in the whole college atmosphere thing, because until this dust settles, until we understand how they're going to put the lid back on this thing and control this NIL and these, these transfer portals, yeah. it's just, it's just one big mess. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. It's one big mess. It, it, it sure is. It's one of the things that I just, I love college sports. And when people ask me about, well, you got a favorite team. I don't have a favorite team. I just like the game. The game was good right. to us. And so we, we want to see the execution. We want to see guys approach it the way we thought was the best way to approach it mentality. And now you throw some of these other things in there. It's just screwing up recruiting commitment, as you was talking about, it's not known like how we knew it. And Stacy, I know you can go back there too, following the players that you followed and, and being a part of that. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, you know, that's a whole new, that's a, that's a different show. Boy, we could go a long ways about talking about that, but I just think it's just made it unfair. You can lump in all this, these changing of, of, of league commitments with the schools jumping from conference to conference. This thing's just getting out of hand, but yeah. we're going to reel that back in, back directed to you. And the University of Washington, you're there. I believe you red shirt your first year, right? But I do. You, yes, end up, you end up playing the position you, you desired to play, and mm-hmm. you went on to have a great All-American college career. Tell us about some of the highlights of going through your college career at Washington. Well, um, a lot of it's a, a blur because, you know, Preston, we remember our first play, <laughs> remember our last play. Everything in the between is else is, is kind of a blur. But I will say this. Um, I was spoiled at UW. I really was. And I could admit that because all four years as a player, once I made the switch over to offense, and I'll tell that story a little bit later, but all four years as a player, I was in Southern California. I played one year at the Freedom Bowl. We played against uh, in Anaheim. We played against uh, Florida, Emmett Smith in Florida, and we beat them. And then the next three years, we were in the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So we were in, you know, New Year's Day playing, um, staying in Anaheim and stuff like that. So I got spoiled. All, all my Christmases were down in, in Southern California, even though I was in Washington. So, um, but, you know, college was, I look back, college was a lot of fun. And if I was, I, I would say this, if if I was playing today under today's standards with NIL and everything, one, first of all, I'd be very well off. Very, very, yeah, doing very yeah. well for myself. And I'd be trying to get um, some of that too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and secondly, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would want to leave college. I had a great time in college. Yeah. And the reason why I stayed in my five years is because I, I made my mother a promise that I would not leave without a degree since since she let me go at such a young age and um you know it's one of those things where it's um you look back on it college is a great experience because where else can you be like an adult treated like an adult but not have all the adult responsibilities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and especially exactly. for someone like me who had scholarships and everything else didn't have to worry about working and then now we think about taxes and have any bills you know just right, right. so it, it was what it was but it was you know college was very good to me well, one of one of the great highlights, and Stacy, I'll let you run with that, is national championships. Not too many people get to enjoy something like that. But of course, the same year with the University of Miami, that had to be, uh, I would say, the pinnacle or the highlight of your college career. But what was it like heading into that last that bowl game, knowing the national championships on the line? 
but ended up sharing it with the University of Miami. Tell us a little bit about that. I've, I've told people a number of times that I don't think that we honestly knew how good we were as a team. Okay. And, and Preston, I'm sure you've been on teams like that where you had success and you look back and like, man, we won that many games or we did that. I mean, that type of thing. I think that's what it was for us. Our national championship year was almost like a sort of a, um, a, a do over from the year before, because the year before, we had a good year, but we got scoreboard watching, and we let we allowed UCLA to come up to our house and beat us, a team that was inferior. We should have won, but we were scoreboard watching. We were watching Virginia and all those other teams mm-hmm. back east because uh, they were ahead of us in the, in the top five. So we were scoreboard watching. weren't taking care of business. This time around, um, this year, um, the, the national championship year, I think once we got past Cal, because that was a big test early in the season. Cal was a ranked team, another ranked team. Once we got past them, it was like, we're not going to be stopped. And then as we the, the season progressed, it's like, dude, you can't give up now. You're so close. You're so close. Um, going into the Rose Bowl undefeated, we knew it was at hand. We just had to take care of, you know, take care of business against a, a really good Michigan team. And so, you know, they had the Heisman Trophy winner. They had a number of you know, all Americans and stuff like that had a good football team. Um, so it was like, okay, we're, we got to go down to LA again. Let's take care of business. And we did. And we stood it. We stayed up that entire night waiting for sports center to make the announcement that we were, that we were part of the national championship. Wow. That's outstanding. That's, that's awesome. outstanding. All right. I got to throw this in real quick, Stace. Do it. I need to know because one of my favorite, believe it or not, I never went there, never played for him. Haven't even met him, but Don James. I just admired him. What kind of man and coach was he? A man of very few words. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. it was he he was one of those presents that uh what's the best way to describe it? So, you know, if if uh back when we were younger, if you got called into the principal's office, how all the students around that ooh <laughs> that that's that's how it was with, with wow. coach James. And you know, he wasn't he didn't really talk to um, uh, you know, underclassmen who weren't the captains and stuff like that didn't see him. You would see him around on campus every now and then when he's jogging, he might speak and say hello. Um, but t- nine times out of 10, if he said three words to you, you were wondering, what did, what did oh, you do? Like, if he said, I want to talk to you, I need to talk to you. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> you're thinking in trouble. But, um, but had the most, had the most, utmost respect for Don James. And I'll tell you why. I remember I shared earlier that most of the schools I wanted to recruit me, I wanted to recruit me as a defensive lineman. Yeah. And Don James agreed to do that. When after my red shirt year, we couldn't beat anybody. I think we went six and five. It was one of the first years that we didn't go to a bowl game. And um, so Don James came, uh, came to us as a team and said, I'm changing everything. I'm changing the defense. I'm changing, changing the offense, so on and so forth. And so um, he had called me into his office shortly thereafter and said, listen, um, we said we were going to leave you, we're going to let you play defense. You, we, we can definitely leave you on that side, but you're probably not going to play much in this new style of defense. Or you can go over to offense um, because the offensive line, the offensive coordinator, Keith Gilverson, who was just hired, um, would really like to have you. Really, like, He thinks he can work with you and you get something out of you. And so that night I went back to my room and I, and I called my high school coach and I said, you know, Coach Shacklett, they're talking about they want to move me to offense. He's like, they want to move me to offense? I said, yeah. They said, um, I'm probably not going to play a defense, but they want to move me to offense. 
He said, well, Link, if you go over offense, I promise you one day you'll be all pro and all American. Oh, love it. And love like, it. Love like, it. What? Really? He said, yes. He said, I, and he said if wow. I promise you, that's what's going to happen. And so I went over um, and just kind of gelled into the system, morphed in the system. And, and next thing you know, I'm having a, having a lot of fun. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> I That's been always been a fascinating story. I got to add one thing before we move into this guy's pro career. Look, there's some dudes, and this guy's one of them, that when you see them in pads, they're just, it hits different. This guy, <laughs> if you look back at him when he was a Husky and he had his pads on, yeah, what yeah. was going on with you, man? You looked like you were, fr- you. he was a monster. He blocked out the sun. Charles Woodson's another guy in a uni. He just, he just hit different. But this guy, I remember playing his day and going back looking at pictures my God, dude, you just look like you you were like causing a solar eclipse out there. When he Love got it. his pads on it, he was terrifying to look at. And so he played Napoleon offense. Kaufman, <laughs> Napoleon Kaufman, when he was being recruited, um, running back out of Lompoc, yeah. um, Napoleon had, um, I was hosting him. And so we were going, we were going around the campus and stuff like that. And he was just like, he was in awe because he, he enjoyed the campus, a beautiful campus. But then we went over to the football office, and at the time, my other tackle was a big Tonga by the name of Supeli Malamala, yeah. equal size as, as I am, just a little bit shorter, but we're both big guys. So Napoleon's standing in between the two of us, and he's looking up, and he's like, he's like, wait, <laughs> if I come here, you're my tackles? Yeah. Like, yep. And he's like, done, done deal. I'm coming to Washington. I'm yeah. coming to Washington. So, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was convincing that way to get him. <laughs> it was oh, crazy. That's like my biggest memory of you in your college career watching you was like, guy blocks out the sun, man, when his pads are <laughs> huge, huge. Uh, okay. Now that's it. En- enough fanboying. But uh, we got to move on to the pro career, right, Preston? Oh, yeah. We got oh, to yeah. ask because you've got another one of those fascinating pro careers from my perspective. It seems like all the greats have this. I look at guys like Brett Favre or Steve Young. Like you start in one spot and you don't end up hitting your stride till you get to the next stop on your journey. But you were drafted first round, played left guard as a Falcon, mm-hmm. something I totally spaced out uh, prior to meeting you. Uh, but then you're traded to the Raiders, which, as you might imagine, we're probably going to focus on more than anything. But your draft experience, what was that like for you and your mom and your family? So the draft was was a little bit nerve-wracking because I had no idea what to expect. Now, I'd never been through anything like this. No one in my family has ever been through anything like this. So just being on the clock, technically, I was on the clock from the third pick to when I was pick number nine. And what I mean by that is that during this whole, it's a similar recruiting process that it is for the pros that it is for college, except the pros are just trying to get a feel for you if they want to use your their high draft choice on you. Now, I had already been told I was going to be a top 10 pick, but I had no idea where I was going to be. The only thing we knew for the year that I was coming out, the only thing we knew for sure is that two quarterbacks were going to go to New England and Seattle. We didn't know the order because it was it ended up being Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer. I knew those two. Everyone knew those two were going to go the top two. Just didn't know how the order was going to go. So then when the when the draft happened and Drew was picked up by New England with the first pick, Rick was picked up by Seattle with the second pick, my phone started ringing. Now I was in I was with um in a little ballroom in a Marriott in Texas cuz my my agent was from Texas. So we rented out a ballroom when he had set up his phones, you know, and he had a, 
on the 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 big screen was showing the draft and stuff like that. And the guests had food and people were kind of mingling around. But I was literally on the phone with the Arizona Cardinals, who at the time was being coached by Joe Bugle, who was oh, a big yeah. offensive line coach, um, who had said that he w- was in love with me, wanted to draft me. But the year before, Tony Mandridge um, uh, had messed it up for everybody yep. because yep. he was a second pick and he was a flop. Yep. And yep. so, you know, people were like, oh, boy, big offensive lineman coming out. You know, how much can we trust? But I was still on the phone with the Cardinals. And then I think it was Cincinnati and Chicago or whatever. I was on the phone with all the other teams until we got up to um, New Orleans was at number eight. Okay. Now, my agent had explained to me, he said, listen, New Orleans needs an offensive tackle as well. It's, it's, it's between you and Willie Rolfe, the other mm. offensive tackle they were looking at. Um, but Willie had made sense. He said, now, just so you know, Willie Rolfe makes sense to New Orleans because, one, he went to Louisiana Tech. Two, this helps him sell tickets. Yep. Local kid, you draft him, this is, this is a business decision. So don't be in shock if it happens. By this time, I, I had already sweat through two shirts was still <laughs> drenched was like Niagara Falls, just dripping with sweat and not knowing what's going on but being on the phone, having to say all the right things. Yes, sir. Yes. I would love to play with, you know, whomever, whatever it was. Um, and in all, in all honesty, guys, the only thing I really wanted from the draft is I just wanted to be the first tackle taken. That's uh-huh. all I wanted. I didn't care where I went. I wanted to be the first tackle taken. And when Willie was taken number eight to new Orleans, my agent had kind of pointed to me and he's like, this is the one you're going to go to Atlanta. You're going to go to Atlanta. So I was on the phone with Kenra here rock, who was a president at the time uh, of the Falcons, as well as uh, Jerry Glanville, who was the head coach. Oh, yeah. um, and they were talking about me becoming a Falcon. And uh, then June Jones got on the phone and like, what do you know about the run and shoot? And I'm like, I don't know anything about the run and shoot, but I'm here to learn. <laughs> run and block. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then Atlanta takes me, and I don't have the best of time in Atlanta. June Jones and I really didn't see eye to eye. Never really, I never really got on the field and played as much as I wanted to. The plan when Ken Hirock picked us, because the year before he had picked Bob Whitfield out of Stanford, that the plan was for us to be the bookends of the future. Bob was going to be a tackle, and I was going to be a tackle. It didn't matter which one was going to play left or right. He just, these were your tackles of the future. That's why he drafted us. You know, draft the tackles two years in a row with their first picks. So, but it just never, it just never came to fruition with me. June and I knocked heads about my weight, um, about the way that I would set and stuff like that, and just other little things. So, this was the first year of the official CBA, and this was the first year that there were guys who were signing six-year contracts, five and six-year contracts for the CBA, and. Um, my agent at the time had told me, he's like, we're not going to sign a five or six year deal in case you need to get out of here. So we're going to take less money and less years to give you the flexibility. So after my third year, I was what they called a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in after my third year because I was not happy. I wasn't playing a lot. It was and I didn't get along with June Jones. I went into Ken Hirock and I said, either cut me or trade me because I will never play in a Falcon uniform again. Wow. And I put my foot down there as a restricted free agent. So I really didn't have a lot of options that I could do personally, but I could force the hand of the team. And that's what I did. 
And uh, Ken Hirock has said at the time, look, you're a first-round pick. We just can't let you go. we got to get something for you. And I said, look, Ken, I'm not happy here. I don't want to be here. Um, I'm not going to play here. So if you guys bring me back, I'm still not going to play in Falcon uniform. My days are, are done. I'm ready to hang it up if I have to. Wow. Um, so they worked out a trade with the Raiders. And the, 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 was one of, the Raiders were one of those teams that they, my agent came to me and he said, look, there's a couple teams on the list that would like you. Where would you like to go? And when he said the Raiders, first thing out of my mouth is, are they moving back to Oakland or are they still in L.A.? Because I had hung with those guys. You know, I had hung mm-hmm. with uh, those guys in L.A. and partied with all those guys and stuff like that. So <laughs> I knew for the most part they really didn't care about football. You know, for the most part, these guys are working on scripts and commercials and movies and all this other stuff. You know what I mean? You know. but, <laughs> Don't tell it. Don't but, tell but partying with those guys, I was like, let's go back to Oakland for where, where it's real. And that's that's how I became a Raider. God, that is awesome, man. Lustrous career, too. <laughs> and a huge career as an Oakland Raider. Um, you're part of the Raider mystique, particularly with offensive linemen, and yeah. a rich, rich tradition across the offensive line. What a change of scenery for you coming out of Atlanta. I mean, there's so many questions I could ask about your Raider experience. I'd love to know... Just from your standpoint, what makes the Raider mystique? Did you just find yourself mentally, emotionally, just switch gears aside from getting out of Atlanta? What makes the well, Raiders it, special? It definitely, it definitely was a, a different experience when it came to fandom and passion. Yeah. And that passion exuding and transferring over to football field. It was definitely different. Atlanta, you know, we couldn't – we uh, the stadium was sold out by other teams and everything else. And our biggest rivalry was New Orleans. I mean, we – Never yeah. felt that we could beat San Francisco, which we couldn't. And that, back in that time, we were also in the same division as the Rams. It was kind of a toss-up with them, you know, the, the Rams and the L.A. Um, but it was one of those things where it was it was like like night and day for me, going to Raider Nation, seeing the Raiders, seeing the, how involved the owner. Um, Al, Al Davis was one of those types of owners that knew everything about your family by name. He could come up and tell you who your wife was, your kids were, and you would ask him separately by name, which is something that amazed the hell out of me, especially talking about as many guys that came through his door. And more importantly, he he really did care. Uh, he, and he, he surrounded himself by former players that cared. I mean, when I first got there, you know, Jim Otto would come out and see practice, you know, wow. Willie Brown, Freddie Belitnikoff. I mean, just these are the names that were around and that were watching practice with Al that you would see around the facility. You know, it was it was nothing to see. Well, of course, Gene Upshaw was representing the players back then. But, you know, you would see him through the through the locker room and Art Shell. I mean, the list goes on and on. And all the great Raiders throughout the history of the Raiders, you would see throughout the facility. And they were always part of the program. You really didn't see a lot of that with Atlanta. I mean, it didn't have as much of a history with Atlanta, as you know, but it just didn't see it. And more importantly, ownership, the, the five Smiths were like completely different from Al Davis. Al Davis was hands-on, had to know everything that was going on with his team, was all about football. The five Smiths had to be told, the CEO had to be told um, what my name was after they drafted me by by someone in his ear because he's just like, uh, who's this young man right here? He just spent the number one pick on him, so you should probably (laughs) know who he is. But but it is what it is. So, I mean, it's, you know, for me, when – the, 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 one of the greatest stories that I have is that when I was coming out of college, I was playing in an all-star game called the uh, the East-West Shrine game. 
Yeah. And we were practicing at Stanford Stadium, the farm, right. um, West West team. And I remember coming up uh, from the, the field one day, walking up the hill, practice, and seeing Al Davis not too far over. And I just saw him in his all-white sweatsuit with his towel, and his security guard, Butch, was, was with him at the time. And walking past him, I had to walk past him to the locker room, and I walked past him, and I put my helmet down, and extended my hand and said, Mr. Davis, my name is Lincoln Kennedy. It's a pleasure to meet you. And and Al was like, well, I know who you are. We know who you are. And um, you probably won't be around by the time we get a chance to draft you. Um, but I promise you one day you're going to be a Raider. Oh, wow. And so, you know, that just kind of blew my mind. I was like, whoa. It's like, you know, just sticking out my chest like, oh, my gosh. And Al Davis, the legendary Al Davis just said, one day I'm going to be a Raider. Fast forward, you know, four years later. I'm a Raider. I'm, that, I'm walking on the I'm walking on the mini camp field. I walk right by him, and I'm like, "Mr. Davis, how you doing?" You know, Lincoln Kennedy's like, "Welcome." I told you, you one day you would be a Raider. Wow. And and it just and, and that from that point on, I had the utmost respect for the man, and just thoroughly enjoyed being a part of the Silver and Black. Wow, 1983, wow. L.A. Coliseum, Raiders and the Rams pregame warm up. And Al couldn't tell me that when I said Al. I'd love to play with you. I mean, I, I told him that one. I told Stacy that story. Couldn't believe it. I didn't get the same result. Right. Six, Link. six, 300 plus pounds. Yeah, it's go. got some pull. That's, that's got something to do with it. That hey, is Link. an incredible story. And, you know, and, and for it to come true. Unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. Wow. Well, you know, we could go on and go on. Pro Bowls. Uh, all pro, just a, a Super Bowl. Uh, what was it, 37? Um, yeah. Yeah, 37. I mean, just a great career and all the things tied to it. Um, I even read something about going after a fan for a snowball. Uh, toss. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. I remember that. <laughs> Can't get away from it, can you? I remember that. Can't get away from it. <laughs> I didn't know okay. about it. <laughs> so it was, either, um, it was either a Sunday night or a Monday night, 1999. We're playing at a game. We're playing a game in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, when we travel with the Raiders, we if we had to cross the time zone, we would leave on Friday, and get there on Friday. Denver's a little different because it's not that far of a flight from Oakland. So, long story short, we go there um, early Saturday morning, have a little bit of a walkthrough. Weather ideal. It's Colorado. It's winter. You know, you're not thinking, but there's no snow on the ground. It's not snowing. So. Um, think nothing of it. Get up the next morning. Now we're playing a night game. It's either Sunday night or Monday night. So we're playing a night game. Mm-hmm. Get up the next morning, open up the window. Snow is starting to fall. Um, long story short, ends up falling the entire day, the long day. So we played a game. And at that point, we had had trouble beating Mike Shanahan in Denver. Mm-hmm. Just they had our ticket. They had our number. It was one of the humps that we couldn't get over. So, And I could not stand the Broncos. I could not stand... John Elway, I cannot stand any of their asses. Anyways, I think he's already gone. He might still be there. I can't remember. True Raider. Um, anyways, True we, Raider. Um, we ended up losing the game in overtime. It was a long run by their running back. They beat us in overtime. And so as we're turning around and heading to the locker room, I see these snowballs just rain down from above. Mm. They're just coming down from spans and stands. And we've got several players. Most of the team is running off the field with their helmets on, trying not to get hit. And I'm like, 
I'll be damned. I just played five quarters of football. I'll be damned if I'm running off the field for anybody. I you know, had that attitude at that point because I'm pissed. I wish the member would, you know what I mean? That type of thing. <laughs> so I turn around, I'm walking back towards the, the locker room. And this is the old mile high where the field was separated by a chain link fence mm-hmm. and the stands, the field and the stands. And that's the only thing that separated us. So I'm turning around, walking back to the stands. I mean, walking back to the, to the locker room. And I just look at, you know, this is 12 o'clock. I look at two o'clock. Someone just says, turn your head, two o'clock. And I watch this guy who's standing in the front row of the stands, just higher than the fence, just draw back and hurl this snowball. No. Well, the snowball hits me right smack no. in the dead part of my nose, in the mm. center part of my nose, right? And all of a sudden, I feel this sting. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. what? I'm so I'm not doing it. I put my finger up to my my hands up to my nose, the bridge of my nose, and I pull back, and it's bleeding. Uh oh. So the snowball had a battery in it, and it drew blood. Oh, what? So right then, I'm seeing red. So I go over to the chain link fence and I'm thinking about climbing this chain link fence to try to get to this guy. And I can't because there's people on the other side walking. So if I get on this fence, it's so flimsy, it's going to fall on somebody, end up hurting somebody. So I'm like, I can't do that. So I would literally walk around, walk to the end of the field where they have the access. You can get on the field from the, from the outside, go through the gate, go over to where the guy's standing and he's still throwing snowballs around or acting a fool. Because he's got so much liquid courage in him. And so I walk up to the, the two, three steps from this, uh, the, the, the walkway, walk up to him and look at him. I said, dude, you broke the bridge of my nose with that damn battery, that damn ice, uh, ice snowball that you threw. I wanted an apology. He got up and he said, grab my face mask. And he said, get out of here, you damn raider. Oh, my. No, he didn't. And the moment, the moment he did that, <laughs> I pulled my drew, drew back and. Bam! Knocked his ass out right there. Oh no! Out. I never do that. He I fell. Just... He fell out right then and there. He <laughs> fell out in that point. His brother's like, "Hey, you can't do that to my brother." Bam! Threw another right cross, knocked <laughs> his ass out. I love it. I love it. Unbeknownst <laughs> to me, to my left, the left of the walkway, the left of the stairway, was like three rows of Raider fans, and they all rushed over the the, the median to the other row where everybody is and just started fighting Bronco fans. <laughs> oh my god love it so love i had it. caused i started a little riot i went up to throw another punch because somebody got in my face and at the time my pr director was hanging from my arm Blake, no please no, don't do this. <laughs> so i realized i realized what i had caused i realized what i had started and so i felt bad so i ended up going in the locker room about 10 minutes later two police officers come in the locker room and they're like um Oh boy wants to file charges. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. I said, but just know this. If I, if I go in, I'm suing the police force. I'm suing the city of Denver. I'm suing the stadium. I'm suing, suing everybody because, and I showed them the, the broken skin on my nose said, you failed to protect me. The guy threw a snowball that had something in it, a battery or something. And it broke the bridge of my nose and you failed to protect me. And therefore you know, in my Smart. my opinion, you're actually responsible for what happened to old boy, you know, um, but I'll accept full responsibility for what I did and, and I'll be more than happy to do it. And they were like, uh, well, wait, um, let's <laughs> let's talk to the D.A. And so long story <laughs> short, nothing ever became of it. But Al's legal department was fighting on my behalf and 
Everyone's fighting on my behalf. Nothing ever became of it. The DA decided not to press charges. Well, you know what? Real quick, and I'm going to let Stacy take this home. Um, I've heard all those great stories about Al and what a wonderful owner he was and how he was for the players and just exactly as you described. And so that's that's a part, that's the one component of my career I think I missed out on. And then the other thing is just how dominant your career was based on where you wanted to go as a young man, not really defined until sports really played a big factor in that, really helped curtail it. And it took you to some places where like today you do so many different things. I mean, folks don't realize how talented you are. Entrepreneur, uh, broadcasting. I mean, just tell us real quick before Stacy takes us home through the two minute drill. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. Well, today I own a few restaurants. I own one in Phoenix. I own a franchise uh, in Vegas, working on a couple more. Matter of fact, Preston Stable, we're actually working on one in Albuquerque mm-hmm, with my right. partnership group. So we might make that come to fruition. Um, I had my own cigar company, and oh. um, I I had a few post COVID had a four a few unfortunate tragedies where I lost my storage. My my tobacco takes three to five years to cure. And so when I lost a couple of shipments um, due to some natural disasters in Florida, it really set me back. So I put that on hold. I don't know if I'll get back to it. Um, mm-hmm. If I do, you'll be the first one to know. But my cigar business is on hold. Um, I call college football games uh, as well as all the Raiders games. Um, I'm a single dad, full-time dad. I've got uh, three kids here, um, two boys and a girl, all in high school. And um Let's see what else. Uh, <laughs> it's just hey, you, you got a little TV, I think, in the past, yeah. and oh yeah, 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 yeah. Little, little TV, yeah. Did, you know. So do radio, but um, yeah, just um, just trying to you know, find my way at being you know half the century mark of fifty two is one of those things where I'm I'm living so my kids have the the right example, and then you know we'll we'll see what happens after that. Great man, great man. Well, I just want to say before I turn it over to Stacy, thank you so much for your support for the New Mexico ALS Foundation. You always come out, and I know we missed this year a little bit, but we love having you, love seeing you. I'll get to see you soon. So thank you so much. I'll be back, brother. I'll be back, I promise. I know you will. (laughs) Take us home, Stace. It's good stuff. I know we need another two hours. Typical thing we do every one of these. Uh, Lincoln's like, no, I really, I don't. Okay. Uh, We like to do this little two-minute drill thing, Lincoln. It gives people a chance to get to know you. Everybody knows you're a legendary Raider. So we'll try not to bury you in Raider stuff. But um, I love that you're still supporting your team, just like Preston does the Rams. It's good stuff. Okay, two-minute drill. Rapid fire, grass or turf? Grass. Love it. This one's going to be tougher, man. San Diego, Seattle, or Oakland? Oh. <laughs> don't, um, don't, don't burn a bridge here. <laughs> uh, I know what he's going to say. I got, I got to go with San Diego because they have my car inside of it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one. I love it, man. I love all that love for Seattle or Oakland. That's yeah. pretty cool. But San Diego, yeah, I figured it'd be San Diego. Okay. Yeah. The favorite movie of Lincoln Kennedy? Oh, depends on which genre. I mean, I've got sci fi, I've got action. I've got, you name it. That's um, tough. I would, I would say that just one of those must see movies every time it's on, I have to stop no matter how many times I've seen it. Just happened this past weekend when I was watching The Hunt for Red October. 
Oh, oh that's, yeah. That's one of my all-time favorites. That yeah. is a good one. Sean Connery, one. Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. good mm-hmm. choice. The most underrated teammate you've ever had at any level. Ooh. I would probably say my left tackle for most of my glory days, Barry Sims, did not oh, yeah. get the love that he that he that he he he, he well deserved. Wow, super cool choice, Barry Sims. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, your greatest football achievement, considering you've had a few. Mm-hmm. I would think my greatest achievement was being um, appointed to the College Football Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. Very nice. Because okay. there's so few guys, many guys that have played the game over the past hundred and something years, so few for to be considered Hall of Famers. It's mm-hmm. one, of, one of the elites. That's a damn good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of controversy around the pro football right now. That's mm-hmm. a good point mm-hmm. on college. Mm-hmm. Okay, toughest guy you ever had to block? Oh, it would have to be... Man, it would have to be the minister, Reggie White. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good Ooh, one. I forgot you blocked Reggie White. Yeah, mm, that's and the close one. second is Bruce Smith. Uh, close sheesh. third is Kevin Green. Ooh, Dang, man. you had to work. <laughs> Chris Dolman. Oh, you were I mean, yeah, people. <laughs> you were working every Pat, Sunday. Pat Swillen, Ronaldo <laughs> Turnbull. I mean, the list oh, goes on. Wow, <laughs> dude, that is incredible. Group of names, Hall of Famers, unreal. Yeah, my, folks. My, my greatest claim to fame because I'm not in the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is that the guys that have the that are part of the the top ten all time uh, sack list, I never gave a sack up with any of them. That a baby. Boom. Statistic of the go. interview. There you go. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. <laughs> Mark that. Mark that. Okay. And then finally, who plays Lincoln Kennedy in a movie about your life? Good question. Um, it's a good one. I'm... <laughs> yeah, because there's not a lot of six, Den- six, Denzel's six. not big enough, so I need, I know I need I to have a big guy. He's got good... <laughs> I got to get somebody big. Who is there? Oh, shoot. It's a tough one for a big guy. He's going to have to do it himself. That's a tough one. He's got to play himself. Yeah, you got to turn it over to me. Let me do it. There you go. Hopefully I can get it right. (laughs) That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Folks, uh, man, Raider Nation, Husky Nation, the iconic Lincoln Kennedy. If you're looking to touch base with Lincoln, follow him on Twitter at LKennedy72. Any website or charity you'd like to connect the fans to who want to know what you're up to today? No, not anyone in particular. Just continue to follow follow me. More will pick up what the season does. I don't do a whole lot with social media until the season comes around, but um, now that we're here, you'll see a little bit more activity from me. So just follow me on Twitter. Here we go. It's going to be surreal listening to you call these, you know, analyze these Raider games. We didn't even get into Raider Nation right now and what, what you think of Vegas. And <laughs> like you Daniel said, you need another two hours. You need another we, two hours. We do. We do. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. my God. What a pleasure. The great and iconic Lincoln Kennedy yes, from yes. the Raiders and Washington Huskies. A lot of other stuff, but those are the ones that folks have a lot of deep love for. Thank you so much, Lincoln. Preston yeah. and I have uh, – what a thrill to have you on. Thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate being here. Yeah. Okay, folks, follow Lincoln at the aforementioned Twitter address. You can find Preston and I, gridironicon.com, at gridironicon, all the usual spots for myself and the iconic Preston Denard and our great guest, Lincoln Kennedy. We will see you next week.
Lincoln, Lincoln. <laughs>